0: For a few weeks, I want to look at events surrounding the end of the church age. Another way that I help listeners listen, because it helped me. Please don't think I'm talking down to you, okay? Because I'm not. I help listeners listen by using a whiteboard. If you wonder why I do this. I've had people say condescending remarks. Kind of being snide with me, uh, saying, "Okay, teacher, we're ready for class." Saying things like that to me, I do this to help. I'm trying to help. So the church age begins with the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. Okay, Pentecost—that's the beginning of the body of Christ. Holy Spirit, Pentecost. This is about 33. AD, And it ends with the rapture of the church, as we've said so many times. We meet the Lord in the clouds, and, and he comes back to, to meet us, to get us, and we meet him in the air. This is a period of 2,000 years, roughly. Now, we're looking at the events surrounding the end of the church age. So you have a 2,000-year church age. What are the events that will take place? The climactic, climactic events. Tonight we'll look at the increasing apostasy. The increasing apostasy at the end of the church age. Alright, so let's start in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews Chapter one, and we'll read verses one and two. All right, and uh, Hebrews chapter one and and verse one. So God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So God in various times and, and in different ways, He spake in time past unto the fathers, the Jewish fathers, by the prophets, Old Testament preachers. Hath in these last days... Now, if you are in the habit of marking your Bible, I would underline last days. It's an important phrase. Hath in these last days spoken unto us how? And that, you know, like um, brother, uh, what's his name? Brother Delbert Walker, when he preached, he would kind of read and then stop and then let you say the word. You know why he was doing that? Because we have a hard time listening. Everybody does. Especially mothers have been working hard halfway through the week raising children. And they come in here and they're finally getting you know, able to sit down and, and you're tired, right? Guys have been working hard all week. You come in, you sit down, and you're tired. And it makes it even harder to listen. So we have all those barriers. Uh, another way is just by asking you questions. How does God speak to us in these last days by His Son, right? Now the, the term last days... The phrase has to do with the, it it lasts from the first advent all the way until the second advent. So the first advent, that means the first coming of Christ. First time Jesus came, he was born of a virgin. So the last days is dealing with the end times. And it goes from the first advent, not to the rapture goes from the first advent to the second advent. So that's real easy to remember. The second advent, the second coming of Christ. When he returns, right? That's the last days. Specifically, we're dealing with the last of the last days. The end of the church age, the tribulation period, seven years right here, is closed out by the return of Christ. So when you you look at last days... That's what you're dealing with. We're in the last days right now. You know, you're in the last of the last days, which is a great privilege, really. Else yeah. And, and, and there's nothing else. Somebody, uh, Brother Adam, if you don't mind me saying, uh, it was a good question. Someone had uh, asked Brother Adam about um, what is there, you know, that's holding God back. What keeps Christ from returning? And is it evangelization? Is it this thing or is it that thing? There's nothing that has to happen before Christ returns. Uh, For us, the rapture of the church, which is not the same as the second advent, but you could think about it as the first phase, um, Jesus could come back at any moment. So we expect his imminent return. It could happen any day now. There's a great bluegrass gospel song. Just any day now, my Lord is coming. It's a great song. Um, we will, as a church, we will fail in the evangelization of the world. Um, it will be accomplished through the 144,000 in the tribulation period. But I think it's just God's mercy that he's extending this offer of free grace and salvation. Um, and Jesus is coming back, and there's just, whenever the Father says to the Son, Son, it's time to go get your bride, and then that will kick off the tribulation period. Um, so... In these last days, God is speaking to us by his son. Which is saying that his son is at a higher level than the prophets in the Old Testament. And that's saying that the revelation given at the end, it excels. The previous revelation given in the Old Testament. If you think about it, you are especially privileged. You and I are. Because we have the whole Bible. The fathers in the Old Testament, they only had some of it. But we have the completed revelation of Jesus Christ. So now the last days are characterized by the falling away of the church. The church will fall away from the truth. The church will apostatize. And it's been happening. Okay, It's been happening all throughout the church age. What is apostasy? We have to deal with that, that term. So apostasy is... It comes from a Greek word. The first part of it is apo. Apostasy. Apo is the separation of one thing from another. To apo, to separate. Okay? And then stasis... Stasis is like to stand or to be firm. We talk about standing on the word of God, standing for the truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of truth in the community. We're taking a stand for scripture. So apostasy is to fall away. Another easy way to remember it is it's to fall away from a standing position. So for a Christian Christian, uh, an individual or a denomination to be standing for the truth and then to fall away from the truth. Another great way to put it is just to depart from the truth. Old Mr. Webster in his dictionary said that it's a it's a departure from a complete separation from the truth. Now, from from for, well from Scripture, I'll say this: this is how I'll use the term, and this is how you'll hear it being used. By Bible believers today. It's commonly used to describe a turning away from Bible doctrine. A falling away from truth or a turning away from Bible doctrine. Either one of those will work. So when I'm using that word from the rest of this time for three weeks, that's what I mean. Turning away from Bible doctrine. Compromise, Compromise, yes. A great way to understand it is it happens progressively. I heard about... uh, A farmer who had a mule, and um, the cost of grain was going up, and up, and up, and up. So he thought, well, I'll just mix in a little bit of sawdust with the grain. And the mule didn't know any different, right? Well, as the cost went up, started adding more and more sawdust, everything was fine until the mule died. And that's what apostasy does to a denomination, and to a Christian, or a family, it's gradual, and before you know it, it has a deadly effect. Okay, so, in the end of the church age, it will be characterized by apostasy. And there will be a final, climactic apostasy that leads to the Antichrist taking his place. And that's, that's, the, that's, like, that's the full apostasy. So, let's look at 2 Timothy 3. Uh, no, don't do that. Second Thessalonians two. Let's skip that. Second Timothy. We'll come back to it. The second Thessalonians two. So you have First and Second Thessalonians, first and Second Timothy, and then Titus. You have those T-books all in a row. Second Thessalonians chapter two. And any comments are welcome during this whole thing? Questions, uh, whatever. Whatever helps for us to get this. Yeah. Like, when COVID, about church. Yes. Yeah. And they thought, what can I do instead of going to church? I can just watch it on Facebook or whatever. That's apostasy. That's departing from the truth because the Bible commands us to fellowship. You know, uh, that's, a, that's a very good point. That's a current situation, yes. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to be in fellowship with God. I want to preach a message on this, and I think the Lord's putting it on my heart to do it. But he also wants us to be in fellowship with one another. So there's fellowship with God and there's fellowship with Christians. Amen. And a lot of people, now, I'm not preaching tonight, okay? I'm not prepared really to say this. So, uh, but when people are in fellowship with one another, they'll tarry after the meeting. And just hang out and talk, share their burdens, and get to know one another in a greater way. When people are not in fellowship with the church, they kind of just slip in and slip right out. Alright, I didn't come to preach tonight, alright, uh, that one was free, so that's extra. Alright, um, but look, I've, I've been there too, been there too. I go through phases, I think, so we, we, have, to incur, we have to make an effort to fellowship with God's people. Alright, so 2 Thessalonians 2.3, we had read this, I think we started the whole series out with this passage. But in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away. You see that word falling away? That's a apostasis. That's the Greek word for apostasy. Falling away. There has to come a falling away first. What is that? That's the apostasy of the church. The church falling away from the truth. All right, we're going to see widespread apostasy as we approach the tribulation. That means expect it to happen. And what I want to do tonight is I kind of want to just, I want to show you that that's what has been happening in the modern age. Widespread apostasy, which is exciting. So I have two points tonight. There are, first of all, doctrinal characteristics. Doctrine is simply teaching. ...of the apostasy. And there are lifestyle or behavioral characteristics. Doctrine and behavior or lifestyle. So first of all, the doctrinal characteristics of the apostasy. There are at least three, says uh, Dr. Uh, Charles Ryrie. There are at least three, and I'm going to take up his three points. Number one, we won't look at it in detail, a denial of the trinity... That has been happening. That's been happening since the 1800s, since German rationalism and higher criticism. A denial of the Trinity. I'm not going to elaborate on that. That's just one of them. That's a big one. A second one is a denial of the Incarnation. Now, if you would, please turn to First John. Just keep going to the right. First John 2. A denial of the Incarnation. Now, you're sitting here in an independent Baptist church building, gathered together with an independent Baptist church. And there is no denial of the incarnation among our ranks, right? It doesn't mean that there aren't Baptists who have gone off the deep end. But the churches you're used to and that you grew up in, this is like, you're like, this is a no-brainer. Who would ever deny that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, sent from the side of God, sent down into this world and entered into the human race uh, through human flesh and became a man. We would never deny that, right? But it's happening. And you might be surprised at how far the leaven of apostasy has spread. Okay? So, 1 John 2.22. And it just lets you know that Everything is running right on time, and we're right on track for the return of Christ. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Verse 22, who is a liar, John says, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. That's the Trinity, but you also have the incarnation there. Jesus was his human name. Christ is. His divine name to say Jesus Christ, that you confess the Lord Jesus Christ. You confess that the son of God came from heaven, took on a body, and then he lived so that he could die for us and so that we could die with him. That's the incarnation right there. And John says he's antichrist. And what John goes on to preach against, say, chapter four, verse three, he's preaching against people who denied that Jesus uh, was truly human. Okay, they were denying the humanity of Christ. So there's two parts to the Incarnation. You've got to be 100% uh, man in order to die for our sins, right? And, and Jesus had to be 100% God in order to be able to die and make an atonement for our sins, right? Right? So, to deny either one of those is to deny the Incarnation, and really the, the Trinity. But chapter 4, verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, you see it, is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So, in John's day... He was dealing with people who denied the humanity of Christ. I'm not going to go into the details as to why that is. But in our day, we're dealing with people who deny the deity of Christ. So it's not this, it's this. And you might be surprised how far the apostasy has spread. On March 29th of 2015, the National Geographic Channel premiered its adaptation of Bill O'Reilly's book. You heard of Bill O'Reilly? He wrote a book called Killing Jesus. And when they premiered that show, they had 3.7 viewers. 3.7 million viewers. That was their largest audience in history. You know what that tells me? People in America are interested in Jesus. So, that was a record for them. And um, what Americans believe about Jesus is a whole other thing. Yes, Americans are interested. It was before Easter, so that probably had something to do with it. But what do they actually believe about Jesus Christ? This is a Barnapole. So, right now I'm taking a a course on Christology. It's for a a degree that I'm doing. And one of my... uh, I have two books that I have to read. One of them is called Putting Jesus in His Place. And the other one's is called um, Dethroning Jesus. And I also had to do some research and read some uh, Barna polls and some different polls. And, and read uh, their findings and so on. And then there's some other things that I, that I have to read for it. But in reading that, it, it was just an eye-opener. I didn't realize that the, the doctrine of Christ is really under attack in our country. So this is a Barna poll, 2015, says this. Most adults in America say that Jesus was a real person. 100% man. That's 92% of Americans. We're doing pretty good, right? Um, but 6 out of 10 believe he's God. 100% God. Only 6 out of 10 in America, that's 56% in America believe he's God. See, you and I, we just take that for granted. We're, we're the pillar and ground of the truth. We're standing for the truth. But that's not what's happening in America. About half, uh, 52%, believe he was a man like anyone else. And that he sinned, just like anyone else. 52% of people in America. Uh, I was listening to a street preacher on Sermon Audio, and he, he broadcasted. I think he wears like a body cam when he preaches. And as he was preaching, he's just the nicest street preacher i ever heard in my life. And just preaching simple message on the gospel, preaching about the law. And, and as he was preaching, somebody would come by him and say something derogatory. <laughs> just evil, just, just wrong. You know, They have no business talking to anybody that way. But anyways, and then one of them that really, I just have never been able to forget. He walked past him and he said, Jesus was a sinner. Just like anybody else. Did you know that 52% of people in America believe that? They might not come out and say it. It's incredible. That's the apostasy that I'm talking about. Especially when you compare that to these Findings. Six out of ten people in America say that they have made a personal commitment to Christ. Okay? And it's interesting to note that more women have made a personal commitment to Christ than men have. 68% of women. Only 56% of men. But a personal commitment really means very little. I'm going I'm to say that. But more white people, I mean more black people... Make a commitment to Christ. Eight out of ten blacks, six out of ten whites, make a commitment to Christ. But a commitment is not salvation. All right. Now they say overall, roughly two out of five, two out of five Americans have confessed their sinfulness and professed faith in Christ. That's salvation. Barna calls those born again Christians. Don't ever be afraid to be called a born-again Christian. That's a good thing. If you've confessed your sinfulness and then professed Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's a good thing. But only two out of five Americans, they say, have done that. And then, uh, I'll just give you the millennials. The elders, the boomers, the Gen Xs, and the millennials. So among millennials who have made a personal commitment to Jesus, only 56% say they will go to heaven because they confess their sinfulness and profess faith in Jesus Christ. That is, just because you've made some kind of commitment to Jesus, whatever that means, if you don't believe that confessing your sinfulness and professing faith in Christ will get you to heaven, you're not a Christian. And only 56% of those millennials within that previous group say that that's enough to get you to heaven. In other words, that means that there's a remaining 42% that think that works are involved. Or something else. Alright. Uh, just just this briefly here. Seven out of ten. If you want to know how it looks generationally. You're probably familiar with this. But I'll give it to you. Seven out of ten elders. That's 68%. Uh, have believed that. Um, you have to confess your sinfulness. And profess faith. So. Admitting your sin and then placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's 7 out of 10 elders, 68%. But watch what happens as they get younger. 6 out of 10 boomers, 62%. Gen Xers, that's my generation, 6 out of 10, basically 64%. Uh, Millennials, 56%. I know it's hard to hear all these numbers and everything, but we're talking about those, that's the percentage among people who profess some kind of commitment to Christ. That means that among millennials, that number, there's only a little over half that are actually saved. Okay? You know what that is? That's an evidence of a decline in uh, gospel preaching and Christ, true Christian faith in our country. is declining. Um, now... The third and last doctrine that characterizes apostasy is a denial of the return of Christ. So, that's 2 Peter 3. We just, we just read it. The denial of the return of Christ. I'm going to go there anyways. Let's, let's go back to it. 2 Peter 3. So, you have James, Hebrews, James, First and 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3. There is a denial of the return... In other words, guys, if you're wondering what does it really mean when the preacher says that's an apostate denomination and we will not fellowship with them or work together with them in any sort of an effort to do anything because they're apostate. And you say, "Well, well, he's just not friendly and doesn't get along with others very well or he thinks he's right and everybody's wrong. No, I'm trying to point out what it means when you're apostate, and it's a and it's serious. I'm trying to point that out. If you're apostate, you deny the Trinity. If you're apostate, you deny the deity of Christ. If you're apostate, you deny the, the return of Christ. And if you're apostate, I would add to that, you deny the inerrancy of Scripture. You you deny that God has a perfect book. You think that this thing's filled with errors and that we cannot possibly know what God originally said through His inspired men, holy men of old who spake by the Holy Spirit. You're apostate if you deny God's perfect, infallible Scripture. That's a mark of apostasy. But we're going to look at the the second advent just briefly. So 2 Peter 3 and verse 4, we will read it. And saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep... All things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So Peter was saying that people were saying that in his time. And how much more are they saying that today? You Christians have been saying that Jesus is coming back. We've heard it over and over again. And they talk about the 70s and the 80s, you know, and the uh, Left Behind series and all that kind of stuff. And they're making fun of Christians who still believe in a personal, literal, bodily return of Jesus Christ to this earth. But it's what the Bible teaches And it's what Jesus said. And that's good enough for me. I'm going to stick with it. As we get closer to the end, kids, listen. People are going to make fun of your parents for what they believe in. You're going to hear them make fun of your parents. They're going to make fun of them on television. They're going to make fun of them in books. They're going to make fun of them on Facebook. And your peers are going to make fun of them in college for what they believe in. You might even hear a a professor, make fun of them. That's because we're in the end times. That's because we're, we're at the climax of apostasy. When the Antichrist returns, that is the climactic event of all apostasy. But we're, we're getting near the end. We sure are. And uh, people are going to make fun of us. For what we believe. They're going to make fun of you if you believe in Adam and Eve. You realize that, don't you? So, never mind Jesus Christ coming back. Uh, so, those are those are doctrinal characteristics. And I'm going to read some things that are going to show you that that's, that's happening. And I think what I'll do... Let me just read one or two of these, okay? All right. As a church, we have right on our website, right on the front page, that we do not fellowship with churches that are members of the National Council of Churches, the World Council of Churches, that we do not fellowship with those churches. We do not go to National Prayer Day meetings with them. We do not work together with them in VBS. We don't do any of those things. We don't go. There there used to be a time where Billy, Billy Graham, or Billy Sunday, before that, could come into town, and Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, uh, uh, everybody would just get together and have a big evangelistic campaign. Those days are gone. Bible believers can't do that anymore. Because of a doctrine called separation. And because of the study of apostasy. We have to separate from apostates. Individuals, churches, denominations, and councils. This great world council of Christian churches. That is the precursor to the end times one world church. It is. And we don't, we don't participate with them. Now Listen. I would, put, I would participate right now with a Methodist church that came out of the convention. I sure would. Sure would. But not with a United Methodist church. We won't as a church. And I'll preach against what's going on. And they're not, not just them, Anglicans. Lutherans. Let me just give you some of it, alright? Okay, here's a War Cry magazine. This is from 2001. That magazine is put out by the Salvation Army. You remember them? They ring the bells at Christmas time. Have the little red things where you can put the change in. Well, this Salvation Army minister interviewed Russell Stannard. He's an Anglican preacher. Say, who's that? That's the Church of England. Come over to America. Um, Anglican. Well, it's the Church of England preacher. Here's the questions he asked him. He's asking him, "Do you believe in a historical Adam and Eve?" Okay. How did the universe begin? Here's uh, Russell Standard of the Anglican Church. "Quote: The Big Bang marked not only the coming into existence of the contents of the universe, but also the coming into existence of space and the coming into existence of time." Here's his second question: "Where was uh, was there a God who used the Big Bang to create the universe?" There is no time before the Big Bang, so there is no God before the Big Bang. What is responsible for our existence, what is keeping us in existence, uh, is unanswered. The religious answer is the ground of all being, that which we call God today. That's apostasy, folks. That's a religious minister denying God, denying creation. Question. Was there a real Adam and Eve? Answer. The Adam and Eve story was never meant to be a scientific scientific account of our physical origins. Uh, It's purely concerned with timeless spiritual truths, like, for example, Eve being made from the rib taken out of Adam's side. All this means is that man's not complete without the woman. Uh, You know, Jesus believed in a literal Adam and Eve. So if you take that, that man's word right there, you'd have to call Jesus a liar and deny the gospel accounts of Christ. Question, is it true to say that humans go to heaven but animals can't because they don't have a spirit? Answer, in the light of evolution, I think that the distinction is more blurred than that. And that just as we have had an evolution of our physical selves, perhaps we need to have an evolution of our religious selves. Isn't that something? That's apostasy in the Church of England. With Anglican ministers. Now here's the Lutheran Church in America. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. It's just one of the Lutheran's denominations. And it's a large one. They had uh, 11,000 congregations in 1990. But they're losing their members. And um, they've lost 50,000 members in just two years in the 80s. Remember what I said about apostasy eventually killing the, uh, the mule Keep adding the sawdust in. That's what apostasy does to these mainline denominations. It kills them. And then they can't get preachers. And because they can't get preachers, they ordain women to be preachers. That's because God has taken his hand off of them and declared Ichabod, the glory hath departed. God took his blessing off of them and stopped, stopped calling men to preach in their denominations. So here's the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. This group is totally given over to modernism and ecumenism. That means everybody get together, ecumenical. Everybody get together, despite truth and error, just get everybody together. They're a member of the National Council of Churches in America. They're a member of the World Council of Churches. And... um, As of 1993, they have ordained 1,358 women to be clergy. The Southern Baptists, they have new findings in the Southern Baptist Church, and they've found out that they've got the same thing going on among their churches in America. They have more women clergy than what they realized. Now, uh, here's uh, this guy named Herbert Chilstrom. He is a head bishop with the ELCA, and when when he became head bishop, this would be back in the 90s, uh, his first plan was to go and meet the Roman Catholic Pope. Now we're talking about a Lutheran church. Do you remember what the Lutherans are? Anybody remember Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther, the reformer, who, who tried to fix the Catholic church, but couldn't, and then came out of it he realized that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And he got saved, and he got out of the Catholic Church and started the Protestant movement. That's where Protestantism comes from, back in the 1600s. Yeah, the 95 Theses of, of Complaints. 95 Complaints against not just the Catholic, not the Catholic Church, but the errors and some of the things that he saw that they were doing wrong. Well, they just kicked him out and called him a heretic. Now, they're going back in. You say, why is that so important? If you're paying attention to Bible prophecy, in the end times, in the last days, there will be a one world church. Mystery Babylon, Revelation 17. That means everybody's got to come back together. So what happened with the great divide between the Roman Catholic Church, which is an apostate church, and the Protestants separating, they've got to come back together. Guess what we see happening? Yes. And they're coming back together. Uh, Baptists, everybody getting together with them. They say, they, they have their own people who say, uh, a Catholic, uh, I think it's a bishop or cardinal I read, where he said that the Catholic Church and the United Methodist Church are in harmony together. He's saying, we're like two peas in a pot. We're like peas and carrots. And, um... So here's this Herbert uh, Chilström. He wants to meet with the Roman Catholic Pope. He wants to meet with the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury. That's the highest guy in the Church of England. He wants to meet with the heads of the Orthodox churches out in the East. He, He supports the ordination of homosexuals. That's apostasy. Publicly announced his agreement with President Clinton's. That tells you where this is coming from. His call to allow homosexuals into the U.S. military. In his commentary on Hebrews, this man said that the Bible's historical records are exaggerated. They're not true. That's apostasy. He's getting everybody together. He's departing from the truth. He's denying the biblical doctrine of separation, separation from error. Now, most preachers within this group are modernists. Uh, old, uh, old Mr. Um, Don Walker preached against modernism in his day. Did anybody listen? I hope they did. I hope they did. That's the reason why that church still exists. It's the reason why this church is here is because they preached against the modernism of the American Baptist Convention and they came out of it. This used to be the first Baptist church of antiquity. It came out of the corrupt apostate American Baptist Convention and became independent. That's the same thing that happened with Southern Baptists back in the 70s. You had uh, men come out of the Southern Baptist Convention because they were going modern. They were denying the infallibility of Scripture. Some of them denying the the virgin birth and those fundamentals. Some of them denying the true creation account, six-day literal creation account. And so men came out of that. And that's where we come from. That's where preachers like me, that's where I come from. I'm an independent Baptist for a reason. You separate from apostasy. This is apostasy within the Lutheran church. Okay? Uh, let me give you another one. Now, this is where I told you it would be hard to listen to. Well, we're out of time. I'll give, you more next, I'll, I'll give you more next Wednesday night. We've all, talking about the lifestyle characteristics of the last days, we've all looked at um, 1 Timothy Second Timothy chapter three: In the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Next week, we'll start right there. Okay, um, guys, it's it's not just the Methodists. If you're saying, "Why is Pastor John talking about the Methodists?" It's not just them. Okay, it's it's everybody it's everybody it's in some cases it's independent baptist churches like the southern baptists they're independent too but they're part of a convention but they're autonomous it's not just you know one group or another it's it's all over the board um, you know Joel Olstein is a great example of a modern day heretic, heretic and apostate um uh, there there's many of them Okay, it's all over the place. What's that? Feel good, preaching. Feel good preaching, yeah. Wouldn't dare stand up and say what I'm saying right now because you'd lose half the congregation to say it. It's all over the place. Um, and, and, and the new Bible versions, they are the product of the apostate church. The apostasy in England and America really set in In the mid to late 1800s. And the new Bibles come from that apostasy. That criticism of the scriptures. A higher criticism. So what you're in right now. Is you're in the last of the last days. And if you. Let's just say. Now I don't understand. I I don't get it. Other than people just not being taught. Not understanding the truth. How a person could leave a Bible believing church. And go into an apostate denomination. To do that is either you don't know any better, or else you do know, and you're departing from a truth. You're departing from something. You're falling away from a truth, and saying, "I'm going to do it anyways." Well, I better stop. I don't understand that. Now, guys, if you do that, you know what the Bible tells us. If you, uh, if you. Ignore the command to separate from apostates. You'll lose your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll study that before we finish this little this little study together. So um, that's why I keep preaching about this. That's why I keep preaching about it. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time together. Um, Lord, I pray that this church uh, and this preacher... The Lord would continue to stand for the truth all the way to the end.